Shobindo describes the Gita as the greatest gospel of works ever given to mankind. And it's uh, significant from many, uh, for many reasons. And one of them is that the setting, the teacher and the seeker, all these three. In fact, in all yoga we have these three things. The seeker, the sought and the way. Shabindu speaks of it at great length. For instance, in Buddhism we have Buddha, Buddham Shadnam Gachami, Dharmam, the Dhammam, the, the, the path that one has to follow. And the one who is seeking to arrive at that stage. In Bhagavat also, in, in uh, the Vaishnava tradition, we have Bhakt, Bhagavat and Bhagwan. So Bhakt is seeking the Bhagwan, And there is the Bhagavat, which is the path that he takes to reach the Godhead. So, um, ordinarily, the idea about works has been, before Sri uh, Krishna, uh, when I say the idea, it means the way human beings understood, not that it, it is, that's how it is in the Isha Upanishad. Today, in hindsight, we can always say that, no, no, it means this and the Veda means this. But the prevalent customary notion at that point of time was that works are at best a preparation. And people quote from the Gita, they speak of the second chapter saying that knowledge is superior to works, that's how Sri Krishna puts it. But that's not the totality of the Gita. And therefore, there was this idea that ultimately it is knowledge. Knowledge comes through meditation. And as far as works are concerned, they are preparatory. And then there came a further division in works. What kind of works will prepare us to arrive at a state when we can meditate and arrive at jnana and jnana will set us free. So there were two kinds of work. One was work which are needed for our daily living everyday morning, for upkeep of the body, maintenance, food, etc., sleep. So these were the works. And then there were the ritualistic works, which people were doing like puja, homam, all the traditional things. But the Gita speaks of all works. That's the beauty of the Gita. Even a work which is ghoram karm, the, the battlefield, even that work can liberate us. This is something very amazing about the Gita. That it says that works itself can lead to liberation. The prevalent idea was that works are a bondage. And even till today we see people having this idea in the uh, average human mind that, well, I don't get time to practice yoga. And by that they mean that I don't get time to sit and meditate. I don't get time when I can contemplate upon the divine. But then... All this while, whatever we are doing can become a means, not only of purifying ourselves, which works can do when taken with the right attitude, not only about refining our being, not only about giving us some peace and joy, which selfless works can do, but also in uniting with the divine. There is no yoga without union with the divine. So there are people who turn the Gita into a gospel of duty. Duty does not lead to union with the divine if we do it just for the sake of duty. This one thing which should be very clear. So, Gita is a way to lead us to union with the divine. And Shurabinda speaks of it as the triple path. It's later on also, Trimarga. Meaning thereby, it's a beautiful, harmonious synthesis of Bhakti, Karma and Jnana. All the three together. It's not just Jnana as some people have 
twisted the Gita to mean that ultimately it's all about jnana. Or it's not just about karma, because karma without jnana, without knowledge, even in ordinary life, if we do something without knowledge, it doesn't help. We can take a very simple uh, example. So, what really work we all are doing in some way or the other. But we need to know what we are doing, why we are doing, how we are doing, even the most ordinary things like brushing the teeth, we need to understand, know basically. But again, what gives the work a unique quality is love. When we do something without love, it loses its value by any number of degrees. So Gita is a harmonious synthesis of love, works and knowledge, but lifted to their highest state where they lose their exclusivity and become one. Just as when a person is doing a work and there is a very beautiful little story about it. And the story is that uh, a person goes to a stone quarry where people are cutting stones, some are digging and you know, taking out rock-like stones. And so he asks someone, what are you doing? He says, well, don't you see? Are you blind? I am cutting stones in such a dreadful task, such a thankless job. Don't disturb me. I am already disturbed quite enough. What destiny has given to me this kind of a work where I have to just every day break stones. I don't know. This is what my life is about. Drudgery. So he goes to another person who is also doing the same task and he asks him, what are you doing? He says, well, I am earning some money. This is a good job. It gives me a reasonable amount of money, but I am looking for upgradation. I have applied for jobs outside and whenever I get a good job outside, which will pay me more money and give me for less work. <laughs> I would be very happy. So he goes to the third person and he's beaming with joy. He's also doing the same work. So you ask him, what are you doing? He says, I am building a temple. And he's full of joy. Now you see, they are all three doing the same work. It is that shift in attitude which makes a difference. And more than the attitude, it is a goal for which it is being done. So in the Gita, the goal is to become one with Krishna, one with the Godhead, one with the Divine. To live by the Divine, to live for the Divine. So some people try to, uh, you know, take only certain portions of the Gita, uh, de-trunkate only one part, trunk without the head and without the feet on which it stands. And say, well, Gita is about how to, you know, uh, do well in our profession, uh, life lessons from the Gita, uh, job, how to do your job better. Even people have written books like uh, Achieving Success through the Gita. Gita is not about all that. Gita starts with Arjun seeking for an answer to his query and the query is not about jnana. He is not, he is not bothered about what is the transcendent, what is Brahman, what is the supreme reality. He has not even perhaps heard these names. His problem is action. So that makes Gita very, very unique because Gita touches straight away the heart of our everyday life. Our problem is not so much, I sit for meditation and I, had a, I have a nice, wonderful experience. My problem is, how do I translate that experience into everyday life? For instance, I may have the experience that all is the divine. So what do I do now in life? In life, I have to make choices. So how do I make a choice between this divine and that divine because all is divine? Should I just 
come out of all action and say, I'll sit neutral, I'll sit in my own being, or should I make a dynamic choice? The Gita implies that in action, choice is inevitable. So while the consciousness has to be rooted in the sense of oneness, we have to make a choice. And here we see the divine teacher and Arjuna has chosen the divine teacher in preference to everything else. And this is what is the grand beginning of the narrative of the Gita. We too get a choice. Choices are often between conflicting ideas and ideals. Always they will be. That's how life is organized. And one way to look at it is to each his own. You have a right to your choice. I have a right to my choice. Let's not hate each other. That's one way. Intelligent human beings at least learn that much. That Well, you may vote for this party. I may vote for this party. But we are all voting for India. Let's put it like that in, in the democratic system. So we have a common meeting ground. We all want the good of India. You may think that, you may believe that this party will do better. I believe that another party will do better and therefore we have, we have a right to make our choices. That doesn't make us enemies. It makes us complementary. That's the basic thing required. But the Gita takes us one step higher. And that step higher is that it's not about ideas and ideals. So behind our action, there is the idea force. But behind that is the, what Shirobindo uses the word, real idea. The divine idea which is trying to manifest through the set of circumstances. Now in the Mahabharata, the divine idea is represented by Sri Krishna, who has come holding the Yuga Dharma and that divine idea for him is, that he wants to establish the kingdom of dharma. That's his basic purpose. That let this whole land of Aryavarth be united and united in a way that it, it represents or it manifests dharma, which is the true rule of divine living. And there are people who choose that. Not everyone. People are fighting for their own reason. But Arjun specifically... We see that the beauty of Arjun is that he has made a choice of Sri Krishna. So in any given situation, ultimate the choice is, people make this choice, Shubhinda puts it a little humorously, I know that the divine is with me. No, that's not the right way to look at it. Am I with the divine or not with the divine? That is the question to be asked. When I say divine is with me, that means I'll go my own way, <laughs> but I want God to be with me. But I put myself deliberately on the side of God. And the beauty of the Gita, it shows that God himself, see, if you look at the Indian conception, that's where Shivabindu touches upon the divine teacher. Who is the divine teacher? He is not just another saint or sage who is sitting in a cave or went to Himalayas after some uh, number of years of tapasya, he has a revelation and writes a book or says, thus spoke the Lord to me. He doesn't do that. Sri Krishna is a Brahmagyani, that's known. And his how he received the Brahmagyan, the story is very interesting. It is said that when Sri Krishna goes, he has studied in the school of uh, Rishi Sandipni, and there he meets the teacher called Ghora Rishi. So Ghora Rishi tells him three words, and they are enough for Sri Krishna to recover. He is the divine himself, but it's an excuse. Just like Shurabindo, Vishnu Bhaskar Lele said, sit and throw away the thoughts. And that's an excuse. 
So there is an excuse which is uh, in the form of these three words which Ghor Rishi utters and Sri Krishna receives that supreme knowledge. And the three words too I remember is Akshitam, Achyutam. Akshitam is that which is inexhaustible. That which cannot degenerate or degrade. And Achyutam, that which cannot fall. That's one of the names of Sri Krishna. Achyutam, Keshvam. Ram Narayanam, we all uh, grown up with that. So, he discovers that in himself. So, he is a Brahmagyani. But he is engaged in action. So, this itself, Sri Krishna's life is a great example. That even though he has realized the Supreme Divine, or rather he is the Supreme Divine, and yet, and there is a subtle difference between the two, yet he is engaged in action. So, all this truth that he holds within himself, there is an occasion, a right moment when this knowledge can be given to man. And that's where the significance of Arjuna. Arjuna is a seeker, but there are two kinds of seeker. One, seekers who believe they know already, but they come in the garb of a seeker. So garb of a seeker is, they will raise the question, but they have doubts about the answer which they are likely to receive. So I have had this uh, interesting things when, uh, I mean, discussing about Auroville or Ashram. And I tell them, see, what has the mother said? The other day someone was discuss, uh, discussing about the charter. No, 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 whatever is written in the charter. I said, yes, so charter says that we have to be a willing servitor of the divine. I said, do you understand what it means? <laughs> willing servitor of the divine. <laughs> is it a joke? That's the whole yoga Glory to the Supreme Lord. This is the prayer mother gave to those who are uh, willing to be, want to be the servitors of the divine. It is to seek only the triumph of the divine in creation, within me, everywhere. As long as I say, I must win. Whatever I may be doing, it's not, I am not on track. And the moment I say, let the divine will manifest, let the divine be the victor, Regardless of whether I outwardly win or lose, achieve success or failure, that is irrelevant. The divine should be the victor. And that's what is called as deliberately putting oneself on the side of the divine. So the divine teacher is an avatar and thereby Shurabindo reveals the difference between avatar. Uh, nowadays, of course, we have a tendency to call everybody an avatar. There are many Kalkis, Christ. Uh, Buddhas and you know Krishna avatars who have come now. <laughs> now, Mother speaks about it. But avatar is a very specific uh, term used in Indian thought with a very purposeful sense. Avatar is not an evolved human being who arrives at union with the divine. We may use the word Mahavatar or avatari. That's a that's a question of sentiments. So somebody who was a human. But he evolved, became one with God, is near in his status to the divine. He can even grow in likeness with the divine. But yet that is not avatar. So avatar is a, as the word implies, to descend. It is the divine descending and assuming a human or if we look at the lineage, even an animal form. So avatars are special interventions of the divine. By assuming a human body, form and name, I am restricting now to the human aspect, 
to turn the tide of time in the direction which is originally intended. So there is an original intention of the divine in creation and that intention is that this world should become a home of the wonderful, beautiful, full of delight. But human beings deviate from that idea. So this is beautifully described in the um, uh, conception of four yugas. Since a little bit of Ram, we should mention how the Ram, where where is Lord Ram coming to the picture. So according to the Indian conception, in the first yuga, Satyuga, Vishnu resides in the heart of people as the Yajna Purusha. So everybody acts according to the inner truth of their being. They are conscious of the divine law and they act according to that. So you don't need much of legislature, governance, you don't need really a king. King is there, but not much required. And people don't fight with each other because they are conscious of the divine law within themselves. But obviously the mind, heart, body, life, they are not transformed. They, they act according to the divine impulsion inside. It's a beautiful stage of humanity, we may say. Then in the next Treta, the Vishnu descends as the King, Chakravartin Raja. So king embodies the divine qualities. And if he embodies the divine qualities, the people and the subject automatically, they have a blanket like a covering in which they live, breathe, grow and certain tendencies which are there in human beings to fight, to quarrel, that is automatically taken care of. The presence of the Rajan or the king who embodies the divine. So that's where we see Rama Rajya. Rama Rajya is about Rama embodying the divine qualities. And that's why people remember him. So because he is the king who embodies the divine qualities, in his kingdom, nobody falls ill, nobody dies prematurely, people don't fight, people lead a very well-regulated life automatically. Then comes the third in which all this is codified. In Dwapar, everything is turned into legislation. The king cannot anymore embody these qualities. That's why we don't use the word Krishna Rajya. Krishna is a great avatar, but people have to live according to the law, constitution, you know, uh, regulations, rules, whether religious or secular, whatever way. But in Kaliyug, even that is broken, which is what we see. Even those regulations, rules, legislation, they all break down. So, in the third age he comes as a codifier and in the fourth, that is Kali, he comes to lead creation to the next Satyug, which is where once again people live according to their deepest inner truth, but at the same time, as Shurabindu says, with a transformed mind, heart, life and body. That's the whole plan. So, avatars represent the evolutionary progression of mankind towards an increasing disclosure of the divine within them. That's how it is. At each stage of our evolution, we connect with the divine in a certain way. For instance, there is a time when we connect with the divine. Um, in you know, we hear bhajan. We need to go to a temple. We need to uh, listen. These are all important at a stage of evolution. Now there are people who go past that stage. So that's why in India there was never a differentiation between religion and spirituality. It was seen as one step towards that. There are some who feel connected only through ritualistic practices. They worship, they light up the fire outside. But then as you grow, you discover the fire is within you. So at each stage, there is a stage when parents have to tell us, do this, don't do this. Because otherwise in our not only ignorance, 
crass ignorance, we may commit the most stupidest thing. So there is someone who has to tell us do's and don'ts. But when we are 25, uh, that's not the way it should be. Things have to change. The parents have to realize that now my child has to grow up. He's grown up and he has to go through his own experimentation, his own errors, his own problems, his own difficulties, challenges and learn and grow. So at each stage, the divine comes in a certain way and takes humanity one step further and Sri Krishna comes at the junction of Dwapar and Kali. So Sri Krishna comes when the Dwapar age, the heroic age is ending and there is there is a total Dharma Siglani. Everything is degenerated and uh, you see all the great heroes, they are, uh, they say that they are living by dharma, but they are not really living by dharma. Each in his own way is adding up to a dharma. And then comes the Kaliyog. But for Kaliyog, he gives us the Gita. That yes, it's a long passage, almost 5000 years mankind has to go through. Till one day Sri Krishna utterly returns, as Sri says in one of his poems. Sambhavami Yoga Yoga. But before he comes back again, mankind has to navigate his life through this difficult passage. And for that he gives us the Gita. For man to navigate himself through this terrible battlefield, Kurushetra, which is going to come up for man in every sphere. And if I may add, before I enter into the chapter, and so now, Sri Aurobindo comes at the end of Kaliyo, and the beginning of a new Satyug. But the beginning doesn't mean everything is done. People believe that, that now that the supermind has manifested, I should wake up and discover golden light all around me and all my organs transformed. <laughs> no. There is a long passage. So in that passage, from the first stirrings of the new creation, to its manifestation. There is going to be maybe, who knows, few hundred years at least, maybe a thousand years. So, Shurabindra has to give us something which can hold us through that journey and that is Savitri. So, the Gita is given at the end of Dwapar, beginning of Kaliyuk to take us through it. And for taking us beyond Kaliyuk to the new Satyuk, Shurabindra gives us Savitri. That doesn't diminish the importance of the Gita for many of us are still not liberated. That's why Shravindo says and the mother says that the action of the Gita continues and will continue. Why? Because Gita liberates mankind through the path of works. So, this second chapter is very interesting. All chapters are interesting. It's about the divine teacher who is giving the Gita. And why this is again important? Because truth is at one level impersonal. It's true. Knowledge at one level is impersonal. But see the difference. Imagine that a physicist is told that there is a lecture on physics going on. A person interested in physics may like to go and hear. But imagine if he is he's told, the Nobel laureate in physics is going to give a lecture. Now he is an authority. And imagine if an Einstein is going to give a lecture. Now people are much more because they know that his word counts. So too with spiritual things. This idea of receiving knowledge impersonally is fine. But it's important whom are we receiving this knowledge from? Because 
the same words uttered by another person will have a different meaning and different sense than when the divine utters them because that word has power. So when we read Shobindo's essays on the Gita, we are receiving this knowledge as given by the divine teacher to Arjun. As once again revealed by Shorabindo to us, again the divine teacher, but from the standpoint of taking us one step closer to the supramental integral yoga. Sri Krishna doesn't mention the word integral yoga, he doesn't use the word supermind, but he actually is preparing mankind for this. And Shorabindo brings that out beautifully. So the divine teacher is important. And uh, first thing, Shobindo points out that the beauty of the Gita is that it is given in a certain context at the moment of crisis. When Arjun wants to know what I should do, how I should act. And a few lines below, or we can read first maybe sentence. The peculiarity of the Gita among the great religious books of the world is that it does not stand apart as a work by itself. The fruit of the spiritual life of a creative personality like Christ, Muhammad or Buddha or of an eposh of pure spiritual teaching like the Veda and Upanishads but is given as an episode in an epic history of nations and their wars and men and their deeds and arises out of a critical moment in the soul of one of its leading personages face to face with the crowning action of his life. A work terrible, violent and sanguinary at the point when he must either recoil from it altogether or carry it through to its inexorable completion. That's the beauty of the Gita. It's not given in a hermitage. It's given in the battlefield. Not just a field of action, in battlefield. Which is known as Ghor Karma. You can't imagine a more terrible karma then one where you are, you are engaged in mortal combat, you are going to kill people, human beings. Ordinarily people will shrink from this idea. I am not going to hurt those who are my brothers. That will be the gospel. And here Gita is giving a command that Arjun, <laughs> pick up the bow, take the aim, shoot the arrow, on whom? On your own grandsire, on your own drona. For whose sake? And there he says, for the sake of dharma. What kind of dharma is this? The widest conception of dharma. So the setting is important and Shivinda emphasizes this because there are people who turn Gita into all kinds of uh, symbolic tale. They try to say that it's ultimately a gospel of ahinsa. It's all about knowledge and the whole thing has been inserted by Vyas in a story form narrative. But even in the Gita, there is one can see that it is not just an inserted narrative because it starts by Arjun. In fact, it starts by Dhritarashtra asking Sanjay, tell me what is happening on the battlefield. Dharma Shetre, Kuru Shetre, Sambheta, Yuyutsava, Mamaika, Pandavaishcha, Kim Karvati Sanjay. He asks him. And Sanjay starts narrating that I see Arjun who has placed his chariot. And he is having a dialogue with Krishna. And meanwhile, he says, what is drone? What is my son saying? So he says, your son is bragging uh, about his army. Your son is bragging about all the great people who are with him. <laughs> and that's how the Gita starts. And all through we see that it's very clearly a story which is not inserted, 
but which evolves naturally out of a condition or a situation. That makes it very real and living. Otherwise, we may go to a hermitage, receive some knowledge, but we don't know how to apply it because real life situations are very different. So this is how Shobindo emphasizes to us the importance of the Gita. And at the end he says something very important which um, is a suggestion which uh, of course many of us have given I think to the government. It matters little whether or no as modern criticism supposes the Gita is a later composition inserted into the mass of the Mahabharata by its author in order to invest its teaching with the authority and popularity of the great national epic. It's a national epic. If there has to be one book which should be taught to every child, it is the Gita, because it teaches us the problem of action. It is not indoctrination into certain ideas and beliefs. It teaches us how should we choose, how should we act, how should we live, how should we be. But even if it be sound, there remains. Okay. There seem to me to be strong grounds against the supposition for which, besides the evidence, extrinsic or internal is in the last degree scanty and insufficient. So basically saying that there is enough evidence to take it that the Gita is an actual event which is taking place in the middle of the battle. It's not something which is symbolic. That... uh, Korvas are on my left side of the brain and the Pandavas are on the right side of the brain and they are fighting with each other and finally Sri Krishna comes in between and gives us a solution to lean to the right. <laughs> That's not what the Gita is about. So, this is how he begins and then there are some very interesting things in the next passage, page 13. Just a couple of lines below. There are indeed three things in the Gita which are spiritually significant, almost symbolic. Typical of the profoundest relations and problems of the spiritual life and of human existence at its roots. What is our problem? Shurabindra is telling us because we rush to find answers. Every time, whenever there is a problem, people rush to give solutions. What is the problem? What is Auroville? What is the problem of Auroville? People ask. Problem is Auroville. It is that it is here to manifest the divine truth in collectivity. The real idea of a spiritualized humanity coming together. This is the problem of Auroville. How are we going to manifest it? Now that should be the thought. All other things are secondary. So when we look at the problem correctly... So, Shrivinda reminds us, what is it meant for? Ashram or human life, even family life, anything. What is the real national life? So, what are the profoundest things which are at the root of human existence? They are the divine personality of the teacher. Who is at the root of everything? Who is Whom do I connect with as my origin, source, Creator, father, mother, whatever, call it whatever. Who is my origin? I must know that. The second is, his characteristic relations with his disciple and the occasion of his teaching. So these are the three important aspects. So the first, if I may translate in our everyday language, who is my creator? Who created me? 
what is the relation of the creator with create this creation called as myself and then what is this world which is the occasion of my wanting to connect with him what is what are all these appearances the situations events circumstances in which i find myself these are the three things which are all the time there why because the teacher is always there the path is always there because the world is always there and if there is the consciousness of arjuna the seeker then everywhere we can build the bridge when once somebody asked the mother mother should i live in the ashram or live in the world so the mother gave an answer god is everywhere the divine is everywhere the world is everywhere <laughs> so now it's up to you there are people who can connect with the divine anywhere and there are those and she says that those who have to find the divine can do it anywhere and those who do not want to do it will not be able to do it anywhere you may be in any place even in ashram you can't connect because that's where the significance the teacher is god himself descended into humanity this rodbind will develop at great length so i am not entering into it because there is a whole chapter on possibility and purpose of avatar would suffice is to say that there is a difference between god becoming human and human evolving into the divine however great be a human being evolving into the divine he cannot replace god descending into humanity that's why at one point the mother says that if you are lucky to have a master you should follow what he says because that's the path that will lead you but if you have the divine himself as the avatar as your master then there are no limits to your realization because each guru master gives us a certain path leads us to that point which the master has realized within him but the avatar is there to take the whole creation one step upward so any which way because creation involves everything the world is everything is there in the world so through any which way we can move towards him and that the beauty of the avatar we see in the life of rama all kinds of people each in his own way approaching we see in the life of shri krishna and we see in the life of shirobindra the mother there is no one set standard way of practicing the yoga and if one were to ask what is the one thing which we sh- which should be for everyone the uh, the basic truth fundamental thing practice it is turn to the mother this is what arjun does the beauty of arjun is that he is a seeker but he is a seeker who has turned to the divine and asks him that you guide me so that is the difference the teacher is god himself the disciple is the first as we might say in modern language the representative man of his age closest friend and chosen instrument of the avatar his protagonist in an immense work and struggle the secret purpose of which is unknown to the actors in it so this is something which again in the next chapter shobindu will develop at great length about arjun the disciple who is really a disciple so here is the disciple who has developed himself to reach a point where the divine picks him up and chooses him and places him in the midst of a battle he does not know the purpose of this battle but the divine knows about knows why he is where he is known only to the incarnate godhead who guides it all from behind the veil of his unfathomable mind of knowledge 
unfathomable. We don't know what is the divine intention. But this much we know that there is a divine intention. So our task should be how I can be one with the divine intention. What is the divine purpose in me in a certain situation, in a given event and circumstance? That's what the Gita teaches us, how to align us with the divine will operating within us for each one. Because it is unfathomable. The occasion is the violent crisis of that work and struggle at the moment when the anguish and moral difficulty and blind violence of its apparent movements forces itself with the shock of a visible revelation on the mind of its representative man and raises the whole question of the meaning of God in the world and the goal and drift and sense of human life and conduct. There are people who are very appalled when they see, let's say, destruction. That's what he will deal with in Kurukshetra. But can life ever move one step forward until it is transformed without destruction? Every step forward, every step we take, there are plenty of creatures below on the soil (laughs) which you trample over. That's how life is organized. But that's not destruction, that's it's absorbed back into its essence. All that Sri Krishna will reveal to us. But essentially we are appalled. Arjun is appalled like any modern representative man. We don't like to see, uh, you know, when there are battle, conflict, uh, people at war. And we instantly start believing that all that is wrong, which is leading to any kind of destruction. That's how we, a, a representative man of the age looks at it. And what is Sri Krishna's command? It's just the opposite. So, this is the occasion. So when we see all that, we wonder at God's purpose in the world. But if you really look at, uh, I'm just reminded since we are doing it in the context of Auroville, uh, um, some people uh, describe the early years of Auroville. I think some of us may be aware what kind of warring, almost murderous instincts, if I may use the word, <laughs> things were at play. I met people who were on two sides, who became friends later on. And someone asked me why it started like that. I said, because it's natural. If you have to build unity and harmony, you have to start with extreme division so that all that is tackled as we go by and by. And all that can align itself to the divine will, will remain and all else will pass away. There is bound to be. Because journey in ignorance cannot be without any kind of conflict. So what we have to do is to keep aligning ourselves to the divine will. Whatever way we perceive it. And the more we perceive it, we are integrated into the next life. So this is the context of the Gita. And then he speaks about avatar, which we'll have another occasion to turn to. One thing Shurabindo says very clearly, though there is enough evidence of Sri Krishna actually taking a physical body, this he deals in this chapter, so we can passingly mention. Sri Krishna is mentioned in the Chandogopanishad as son of Devaki. He's and a Brahmagyani, realizer of Brahma, Brahman, the highest reality. Sri Krishna is also, Dhritarashtra is mentioned in the same Upanishad, meaning thereby that um, 
the, the author of the Upanishads are aware that there was an event like the Mahabharata which took place. Then Sri Krishna is mentioned in Hari Vansha. The impact of Sri Krishna till today in painting, art, culture, music, dance, poetry, in everyday life, massive impact in all kinds of poetry. People have realized Sri Krishna by following the path. The Gita continues to inspire and is a household book available with everyone. So there are several reasons to um, trust that Sri Krishna actually existed. But even if he did not, that's not the point. That's what Sri says. He says the kind of debate whether Christ existed or not, Krishna existed or not, Buddha existed or not, that's irrelevant from the Indian point of view. As long as we can create the Krishna, we can realize the Krishnahood or Christhood or Buddhahood within us. They exist as a reality to our inner being. And if we can realize through that contact, then that's what is required. And in, in times to come, we can say the same thing about the mother and Shirobindo. What is important is, can we grow into that consciousness where the mother and Shirobindo are inviting us? So he says that these kind of things uh, may be of interest to the historian, which is not really needed for us. What we have to understand is, uh, on page 14, the Vaishnava form of Vedantism, which has laid most stress upon the conception of avatarhood, expresses the relation of God in man to man in God by the double figure of Nar Narayan. How beautiful it is. God in man and man in God. So there is the Nar holding the God within him. But this God is not expressed. And there is Narayan who has taken a human form. So man in God. So he has taken a human form. And this is the eternal journey. All of us are Nar or the uh, human on the surface. And all of us carry Narayan. Uh, I am not going into the Sanskrit semantics of it. There are different ways we can understand. Narayan within us. And the whole journey is about union of the human with the divine Nar and Narayan. And wherever the two join together, there there is victory. There there is good. In the union of man and divine lies the great secret. That's what the Gita comes to tell us. And we see this in a very beautiful story in Indian thought. Nar is the human soul which eternal companion of the divine finds itself only when it awakens to that companionship and begins, as the Gita would say, to live in God. Narayan is the divine soul always present in our humanity, the secret guide, friend and helper of the human being, the Lord who abides within the heart of creatures of the Gita. When within us the veil of that secret sanctuary is withdrawn and man speaks face to face with God, hears the divine voice, receives the divine light, acts in the divine power, then becomes possible the supreme uplifting of the embodied human conscious being into the unborn and eternal. And the Gita describes it as Uttamam Rahasyam. There are three great secrets. One of the secrets in the Gita is that man can become one with God. It's something very amazing because uh, there are religions which declare that it is impossible. There is man, there is God. Forever they are separated. Maybe we can, post-mortem salvation is there. After death we may live in one of the heavens allotted to us. 
depending on our deeds, we have to show them the card. And there is Mr. Chitragupta sitting on his computer who will dial in our code and say, yes, yes, you have access to this heaven. That's not what Indian conception is. Man, thou art God concealed. When mother was asked, mother, who am I? She gave a very interesting answer. She said, the divine in many disguises. So there is the human and there is the Narayan. Gita tells us how the two can become one. And that's the beauty of the Gita. So the story of Nar Narayan is very interesting. There are two sages who are described as meditating for thousands of years. And together they win the victory. And when they come together is when there is a uh, demon called Sahasra Kavach. He has prayed to sun and has thousand armors over him. And <coughs> the beauty of that whole story is if a warrior fights, so if he, if he fights, he has to, he cannot rest. He has to constantly keep on destroying one Kavach after another. If he rests, <coughs> then they will be he will, you can't defeat him. So that's the condition. So Nar Narayan, the sages fight him. So they alternate. Narayan, then Nar. So they are one, but they have taken two forms. That's the story, very symbolic story. But when all the 999 armors are gone, there is only one. Then this desperate fellow, Asura prays to son, do something. Let there be night, let there be dissolution, whatever it is, save me. And it seems the son who had given this, he sets. So you can't fight. And at that point of time, he survives with one kavach, which is the kavach which Karna is born with. That's the story of Narnarayan. And in Badrinath, there are two mountains. It's very interesting. One is called as Nara, the other is Narayan. It is said that when the two mountains will join, they are drifting close to each other by maybe a millimeter or so in God knows how many years. When the two will come together, then a new age of truth will begin upon earth. Again a symbolic story. When the human and the divine will come together, this coming together is important. Divine will do everything, well, that is one side of the story. I will do everything, that is another side of the story. But man uniting with the divine... Few inches man will move, aided secretly without our knowledge by the grace from behind. A thousand miles God will move and there will be a meeting point. So this is the whole story. And he says this is how we have to understand the Gita. And then there is another very uh, interesting thing that Sri reminds us. <coughs> that the Mahabharata and the Gita, they also reveal to us the relation between God and man. Very often we wonder, where is God? For instance, where was Krishna when Pandavas were losing the game of dice? Okay, he helped Draupadi, but he could have done some magic so that Shakuni's hand would have been paralyzed, he wouldn't have been able to throw the dice, or he would have overpowered his magic and changed it. This is how we understand, we try to think in our ignorance. But that moment, when human beings are pushed by their ego, divine lets them act according to the ego. Because Yudhishthir, Arjuna, that's the story when Draupadi says, why didn't you come at once to my rescue? 
He says, because you had turned towards the Pandavas, you thought your five great husbands, with them around you, nobody can touch you. Then you turn to Bhishma, then you turn to Drona, then you turn to me, but you started calling names of somebody who is living in Vaikunt and all that. But the moment you say, O thou who are seated within my own heart, I came. You must know the right code word. <laughs> so when human beings pursue the action by the ego, God is still behind. His will will be fulfilled. And that assurance should fill us with peace. It doesn't matter how, which way. Important thing is his will should be fulfilled. My idea, his idea, that idea is all irrelevant. But if we are pushed by the ego, we will not feel his presence. We may even feel he is an evil doer. That's how Shobindra describes in this passage. Beautifully. There is the typical, last three lines on page 17. There is the typical, almost the symbolic significance of the human Krishna who stands behind the great action of the Mahabharata, not as its hero, but as its secret center and hidden guide. Page 17, last three lines. And now I am turning to page 18. From the beginning and hidden guide. That action is the action of a whole world of men and nations some of whom have come as helpers of an effort and result by which they do not personally profit. And to these, he is a leader, some as its opponents, and to them, he also is an opponent. Divine, one thing very good about him. He says, as is your faith, I will meet you. You want to oppose my plan? Come. You will end up fulfilling my plan, making it come even faster. That's the beauty of the divine. You want to oppose my plan? You will become an instrument of fulfilling it even in a faster way. Of course, through a terrible way. <laughs> That's a different thing altogether. So this is the beauty. So, as you see in Ramayana, Rama takes Sita. If he wouldn't have done this, he tried to oppose Rama in this way. If he wouldn't have done this foolish act, maybe he would have enjoyed Lanka for another thousand years. By doing this act, he precipitated a violent crisis. The result of it was battle and war and bodies. All this. At the end, Rama's will is fulfilled. So that's how it is, that the divine will. So he meets the opponent as opponents. The baffler of their designs and their slayer. And he seems even to some of them an instigator of all evil. And destroyer of their old order, mark the word. What does the divine do? We are all living in comfort zones. One day the divine, come, come, get up, get up, get up. Oh, very nice. Mangala Aarti, something. No, 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 I am calling you to the battle. No, 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 please. You can't be God. I want to be peaceful. It's my Aarti time. No, I want you to come and step into the battle. Sir, please, don't come in this way. So there are people who remain asleep. They are happy with their Aarti. <laughs> and divine is leading to the battlefield. Armies have gathered on this side or that side. People often say, which side are you? So I have one answer on the side of the divine. What does it mean? It may mean nothing to you. <laughs> it means something to me. Which side are you? Just imagine if we can say with all the conviction of our heart, I am on the side of the divine. 
whichever way he takes me, I am ready to go. That's how it should be. So he says that others see him as he is destroying the old order and familiar world and secure conventions of virtue and good. Mark the words again and again and again. What is the divine destroying their old order? Bhishma, you are the grand sire, I must listen to you. Drona, you are my guru. And what else he is doing? Familiar world and secure conventions of virtue and good. We have our own ideas of what is good. Virtuosity. And, but the divine doesn't, when he is in that state of Kali, then he doesn't care for all our ideas. He will fulfill. That's how it is. Some are representatives of that which has to be fulfilled and to them he is counsellor, helper, friend. When the action pursues its natural course or the doers of the work have to suffer at the hands of its enemies and undergo the ordeals which prepare them for mastery. The battle is never easy. To Krishna, there were people who spoke such words. Bhurishrava is among one of them. Bhurishrava is a king who abuses Krishna, hurls abuses. That you are not even a virtuous man. Some people call you God. You are a wicked person. That's how he says to Krishna. There were people like that. People say like that to Rama and Krishna till today. People have tried to say this about Mother and Shurabindo. So people will say to everybody, even when you stand for the sake of what you believe to be true, people will call names. None of this matters at the end, but the fulfillment of the divine will. So he says, where the action pursues its natural course or the doers of the work have to suffer at the hands of its enemies and undergo the ordeals which prepare them for mastery. The avatar is unseen or appears only for occasional comfort and aid. But at every crisis his hand is felt. Yet in such a way that all imagine themselves to be the protagonist and even Arjun, his nearest friend and chief instrument, does not perceive that he is an instrument and has to confess at least, at last, that all the while he did not really know his divine friend. So when we are moved by the ego, natural course of things, the divine says, okay. He is watching quietly in his couch, Seshnak. And one day, the hour, as Shubhinda says, the hour of God, all hours of God, the hour of God, what is that hour of God? It's terrible, for the hour is terrible. Because at one place Shurabindu says, Krishna is revolution. Krishna is not just Garba dance. Krishna is revolution. When he comes, everything is upturned. Topsy-turvy. And what is the intent? One knows much later. When the entire battle is over, people ask, what is the purpose of all this Mahabharata? And then Sanjay says two things. One is, the grand vision of Sri Krishna. He is on both sides, by the way. But some have put themselves on the side of Krishna. That is the difference. So, so he says, the grand vision on the battlefield of Kurukshetra, and the second is the Gita. So this is how all battles are. Thus, next paragraph, the figure of Krishna becomes, as it were, the symbol of the divine dealings with humanity. 
Through our egoism and ignorance, we are moved, thinking that we are the doers of the work. As long as I think I am the doer, then suddenly one day we become say, "Oh, where is the divine?" Well, <laughs> you thought you are the doer. We are quick to take the credit for the virtues or the good, but all that happens, which is not what we have ever imagined, we pass it on to God. It doesn't work like that. So he says. Thinking that we are the doers of the work, wanting of ourselves as the real causes of the result, and that which moves us, we see only occasionally as some vague or even some human and earthly fountain of knowledge, aspiration, force, some principle or light or power which we acknowledge and adore without knowing what it is, until the occasion arises that forces us to stand arrested before the veil. So all this is a preparation for the grand disclosure of the divine in our humanity. And the action in which this divine figure moves in the whole wide world action of man in life, not merely the inner life, but all this obscure course of the world, which we can judge only by the twilight of the human reason, as it opens up dimly before our uncertain advance, the little span in front, this is the distinguishing feature of the Gita. God is not only when I am sitting in meditation. God is also when I am in the battlefield where there is a do or die situation. And to connect with God in every situation is what is given to man. It's a unique privilege. That's what Krishna is leading us to. He is not only in our inner being when there is a nice agarbatti, nice little and we are connected, nice, beautiful feeling. He is there, of course. But he is also there, as Shubhinda says in Savitri, one who has made this world is ever its, its lord. Our errors are his steps upon the way. He works through the fears, vicissitudes of our lives. He works through the hard breath of battle and toil. He works through our sins, our sorrows and our tears. Then he says, his knowledge overrules our nescience. So what we should do, whatever our strong ills and present fate, when nothing we can see but drift and wail, a mighty guidance leads us still through all. This guidance is Krishna, but many normally it is hidden from behind, leading us through all the twists and turns of our life. Other day somebody was telling me, Oh, my life is so miserable. So many twists, so many. I wish I could lead a straight life. I said that there won't be life like that. There is no such. <laughs> we are twisted beings. So in trying to straighten us, we think, oh, God is twisting us. Actually, he is straightening us. Till we arrive at the utter simplicity of giving ourselves to the divine. So actually, when you straighten something which is twisted, the twisted thing believes that it is being twisted. Yes, but it is being twisted to straighten it. So that's how life is. <laughs> Divine is his own way. And finally, the last paragraph, the symbolic companionship of Arjun and Krishna, the human and the divine soul is expressed elsewhere in Indian thought, in the heavenward journey of Indra and Kuts, seated in one chariot. So this is about the together, Indra and Kuts, they are companions in the battle in the um, of the you know against the type between the Devasuras and Gram, the gods and the titans. So uh, he has fought the battle. So Indra says, "Why don't you come come to my place for a few days? Come, we'll have a little bit of party rest." Now he says, "Okay." So as they are moving in the chariot towards the heaven, they are talking to each other. 
what a good companion. So not the Indra of the Purana is, you know, original that Godhead. So they are moving. And as they come to the doors of heaven, Kuts, who is a human, becomes like Indra. So when the people at the gate, they open the door, they don't know. They say there are two Indra at the door. But there is only one Indra, only one can be let in. So they can't differentiate, nobody can differentiate. So they call Shachi, who is wife of Indra, and she is truth conscious. She knows that one is the Indra who went from here to earth. The other is the Indra who has been transformed, the human who has been transformed into Indrahood and come here, both are allowed to enter. So this is the story of companionship, what a beautiful way. The divine is not just as a guru giving us some jnana, he is not just somebody who is giving us a mantra which we have to meditate upon, but the divine as our eternal friend and companion. I think this is one of the unique things about the Gita. As I said, many unique things, but one of them is divine is our friend and companion and guide. Through all this tangled, even through the tangled anarchy called fate, even through the bitterness of death and fall, a mighty hand is felt upon our lives. It is here us in unnumbered bodies and births. This hand is Krishna. And he, we see him on the battlefield of Kurukshetra. The last line on this page. The teacher of the Gita is therefore not only the God in man who unveils himself in the word of knowledge, but the God in man who moves our whole world of action. This idea of seeking God only in meditation, all right, is needed. But in everyday life, I am doing this, Ma, be with me. Guide my steps, lead me, carry me. And what things? Not just having a cup of tea, but engaging in the battlefield where it looks like I am doing something which is so wrong and terrible. Ma, be with me. Illumine me. Overrule my ignorance. I am ignorant. I don't know what I should do and what I should not do. But I feel moved to do this. But you are with me. This is my supreme assurance that ultimately your good, your will will manifest through all, all of it. But the God in man who moves our whole world of action by and for whom all our humanity exists and struggles and labors. We live for him. We exist for him. By him. Imagine doing away with God and saying there is world and we are going to make world better. Man has tried it for thousands of years and failed. We cannot make this world better by doing away with its divine center. Towards whom all human life travels and progresses through a little happiness, little griefs, little, you know, there is one small little sweet story. Uh, Kakeda, you know, promise uh, Taradi's uh, brother, no more now. So, uh, small little kid, so he was, uh, you know, he would often, when mother would walk in the corridor in mother's room, that interview room outside, there's a corridor, he would also walk behind. <laughs> and then mother would go and sit on the chair and he would be looking at her. So, one day when he fell, his father was with him, Surendra Chaur, and he fell. He gets up. What does he do? He runs to the mother. And father says, oh, what happened? Before his father can catch up with him, he has run to the mother. And the mother quietly, Mopati, my child, caresses, soothes, gives him nice chocolate. By the time father has come, the child is all smiling and happy. 
This little fall is also an occasion for contact with the divine. So this is what Gita is there to remind us that every small little sweet bitter thing of life, there is nothing which is so insignificant that it cannot become an occasion for communion with the divine. There is such a great felicity. Every little thing, every little step that we take can become an occasion to become one with the divine. He is the secret master of works and sacrifice and the friend of the human peoples. Never a more powerful line has been uttered about God. Guruji, Guruji, Acharyaji, all this is okay. He is the friend of the human peoples. Okay. Now. Okay.